Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sung's Garage podcast with Sung Kang and me, Alex Harrington. Today we're talking to Craig Lieberman, the man behind the best part of the Fast and Furious movies, The Cars. He was a consultant to the Fast and Furious films for three years, helping them with the car choices, the builds and the scripts, plus the Orange Supra, Silver Skyline and Blue Maxima from the movies belonged to Craig himself. This is a great episode on the behind the scenes of the films, as well as Craig's long and interesting history within the aftermarket industry. Enjoy. Well, thanks for joining us, Craig. It's been a while since I've spoken to you. And, um, you know, Alex has been really looking forward to meeting you. So um, let's just get to it, Alex. You know, welcome to Sung's Garage. So a podcast uh, with Alex and Sung. And uh, go ahead, Alex, any questions? Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, you, Craig, you're like this underground car hero, right? I mean, I'm, you know, it's, I'm sure you're very modest about it, but you, you kind of, um, you built the scene back in like the early 2000s, you know, you, by choosing these cars that went into the Fast and Furious. Did you know that you were going to shape the scene of that era? Because now when you look, when you think back to that era, people are just, you know, people who think the, the Supra, the R34 Skyline, and it could have been, you know, I've watched your recent videos on what the fast cars could have been. Do you think you had a major influence over that? Or do you think, or do you, think you just chose the right cars? I, it, honestly, people give me way too much credit and way too much blame if you read my YouTube comments. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're the guy who drove up super prices and all that. How, how old are you, Alex, if you don't I'm mind me 25. Asking. Okay, so you were very, very young when the movie came. You were three years old, more or less, or two years, whatever it was. But... Uh, the, the Supra was already kind of getting well known. I, I like to tell the story when I bought my Supra in 97, I paid $24,000 for that car US <laughs> off of a dealer lot. I'm not okay. So, so the Supra hadn't taken off yet. The, 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 the JDM enthusiast knew what a Supra was, but common sense will tell you that if anybody's played a video game from that time, they already knew that the hierarchy of Japanese cars, sports cars at the top, you have cars like the GTR, whatever iteration, R32, R33, R34, NSXs, then you got your Supers, uh, Z32, 300ZX, FD3, SRX7. So that was just common sense to pick that. Anybody who would have been given that position as technical advisor would have pulled from the same pool of cars. It's just logic, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that, uh, I mean, the whole thing how I got started uh, was being at a car show. A guy saw the Super, I brought it up to Universal, and then Rob and the, the crew came down. A couple of the actors came down. They said, okay, this is good. Uh, we're going to rent this car, build replicas, blah, 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 blah. So had I showed up there in an R33 and we were able to get R33s, they probably would have picked that car. So they just, you know, Robin, to his credit and his team, they were very much about finding out what the culture is about. So they would have gone to any car show and seen what the top end cars were. They could have done a survey at Hot Import at Nights, Hot Import Nights and got the same answer. Craig, who's, I, who's, who's, who's Rob for the people that don't know? Oh, Rob sorry. Cohen. Rob Cohen, the director of the first movie. He deserves – him and his production team deserve a ton of credit because, A, they listened, uh, B, they absorbed, and C, they acted on the recommendations. I wasn't the only technical advisor. R.J. DeVere was a technical advisor, right? And David Martyr was the picture car captain. He was my boss. Um, these are the people who really deserve the lion's shares of the credit. I was just basically the guy with the Rolodex to all the tuner companies in America who could help us get all the parts and would probably say yes because I had relationships with these companies already through my day job. So it was just honestly Which being was, the right place at the right time. What was your day job? I was a director doing? of the National Import Racing Association, NIRA. We 
Uh, Hector mm -hmm. mentions it in the movie. No, man, I'm trying to go legit. I'm trying to get with the Naira circuits, was, which was just a nod to our organization who was helping support. So what was Naira? So Alex, do you know what Naira is? No. What it stands for? All Give right. us the so, history of Naira. Naira was uh, bought from Gene Wong by Peterson Publishing, the magazine group that ran Super Street, Max Power USA, uh, and several other magazines, Hot Rod, and I think they had something like 300 titles or something crazy like that. So I worked at the same building where Super Street was, was produced, the magazine. We were in a, a pro series all across the country, 11 events here, TV coverage. You know, this is before the internet was really a big thing, magazine coverage in multiple magazines. And it was a pro series. All the people like Stefan Papadakis, who you've probably heard of, Ava Labara, uh, Ben Ma, I mean, this is all these draft, famous drag racers from the late 90s and early 2000s, Miles Batista, all these people, they all came out and raced. And we packed up and moved, you know, to different tracks all over the country. It was a big thing. We paid out hundreds of thousands of dollars in purses, blah, 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 blah. It was great. It was fun. What happened to Naira? Naira got absorbed when uh, Peterson sold out to EMAP, which ran Max Power UK. They, in turn, sold it to Prime Media, which was the devil. They were there, our, our competitors, right? <laughs> so I had spent the last five years of my life telling uh, my sponsors and, and advertisers why we provided better value to the sponsors than Prime Media would. And so I can't be a hypocrite. So I resigned the day they announced the, uh, uh, the merger or the acquisition, I should say. And then I went out and started the Nopi Drag Race Association. I had a universal uh, fast and furious relationship uh, in my pocket. So I brought that sponsorship over to Nopi, took all the racers with me, took all the sponsors with me and did that and got that off the ground for them. Did you always want to be in the, the motoring industry? Because I know a lot of people just kind of fall into it accidentally. No, I was, I was always into it. When I was in school, I was tinkering with cars at a very young age, even before I could drive cars. I was stealing my dad's cars at 13, driving them around the block. <laughs> it wasn't home until I got pulled over by my next door neighbor, who was a CHP officer, Highway Patrol, and he scared the living daylights off, uh, you know, out of me. So I worked at auto parts stores in the uh, in the 1980s, and uh, because I had kind of a, a fancy for it, uh, I got hired to better positions, and then I got hired to NGK spark plugs. Spent a year in Japan getting trained over there and really kind of absorbed the culture and so forth. So I was doing motorsports. So all, all of my jobs since then have been either in uh, automotive or in marketing, which has basically been my focus for the last, God, since 1982, really. Right. So what was your first car? A 1981 Isuzu iMark four-door sedan. It's, uh, I think it's called the Isuzu Gemini uh, in other parts <laughs> of the world. It would be equivalent to like a... Uh, Oh, I don't know. Well, Vauxhall, the base Vauxhall four door, right? Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> but I painted it. I painted it Indian Porsche red Porsche, put a Porsche 930 turbo tail on it. Single Weber, uh, a long tube header. And that car <laughs> okay. probably made 885 horsepower, 87 with the mods. And I was the <laughs> fastest guy around. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Good junk. <laughs> what do you drive now? Uh, I have an R35 GTR, which is now, I think I'm 40 some, 43rd car in my life. <laughs> I have a, re I, a really bad addiction of cars over the years. Really bad. 43. Well, well, why, what, why do you, why do you stick with JDM? Like, how, how come you haven't moved over to like American Iron ever? Like, what is, what uh, is this love affair? Uh, I, when I was young, my dream car was a, a Datsun Z. I've gone through three or four of those back in the day. 
uh, dual mm. carb, triple carbs, uh, mm. all that wide body, not wide body. So I was like you, I'm a big S30 fan. So mm. that got me started because all the, the people I grew up with, it was like uh, the neighborhood I grew up with was like Caucasia. If there ever was a place called, called Caucasia, this was where I lived because it was all like uh, middle class white people who all did the same thing. You know, they all wanted muscle mm. cars and all that other kind of nonsense. I just wanted to be different. So that's why I, that's why I was into the cars like the Starion Turbo, right? The Dodge Daytona Turbo Z, which was kind of an import looking car. But I just wanted the Japanese stuff. I had plenty of American cars, uh, Fox Body Mustangs. I had a 96 Impala SX, great cars. I had an old Firebird, uh, a 71 and a half split bumper Camaro, uh, Datsun 510s. I, had a, I feel like I've sampled everything. But for me, having I've done some European cars, RS4s, a couple of Lambos and a Porsche and stuff. I keep coming back to the Japanese stuff, uh, two Supras, and now the R35, which is the best car I've ever owned. It's, it's a car I've owned for the longest period in my life, going on seven wow. years. I agree. Really the best ever, just huh? Best I've ever owned. Why is that? Because hmm. I would have thought that you know someone with your history would be kind of not not classic focused but you know that kind of hardcore uh not many driver aids kind of kind of feel well if i if i was going to build a project car which i'm still trying to talk my wife into it it's going to be another s s30 right right mm. and i'll do another Datsun z as long whatever motor i put in there which wouldn't be an ls but it's going to have to have air conditioning because i'm at that age where i'm willing <laughs> to make some sacrifices but yeah. not inclusive not that many. of uh, yeah not that many <laughs> But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of at the point where I just want to get in my car, want to be able to go get groceries if I have to, and then swap the tires and wheels, go out to the racetrack, you know, put some E85 in it or 100 octane, and then drive it home and still play around with the car. It's just, it's versatile. Yeah. So the yeah. GTRs and the E85. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we don't get that in this country. <laughs> and no. I'm very jealous. How, how easy is it to get to? I find, I've, I've heard it's really difficult to find. Uh, well, they're not on every corner, but the two yeah. closest gas stations to me, one is about six miles to the southwest. And the other one's about nine miles to the north of me. So it's not terribly difficult. But if you were to live in a rural area, yeah, in some states, I don't even think have E85. Oh, yeah. So I won't be moving there, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. it's pretty easy in Southern Cali to get E85. So, yeah. There's so many you know, car fanatics out here. You never. It's it's it's. You'll always be able to find a station with the E85. Yeah. Um. Hey, Craig. Going back to the S30, the Datsun 240Z, right? Um. What is it that you feel is great about that car? Like, why do you have a connection to that? Because I'm trying to figure out why certain cars like affect people a certain way. And you know, the more I get to learn about the S30 and then the history of the people behind it, like Mr. Katayama, the, the more I feel connected and the more I feel like, wow, this is a perfect car. It's a perfect car for, especially for that era. And like, what made you fall in love with the S30? Well, first off the lines of the car, I mean, that long nose, you know, very reminiscent of the Jaguar E-types, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But that, or the Toyota 2000 GT. But the other thing is, there's just a lot of quirks about the car. The reverse opening hood, which is just kind of cool thing for a person who grew up with the hood that goes like this on all American cars. You get inside the car, it's no frills. It's a cockpit style. Everything is angled toward you. Ergonomically, everything is either accidentally 
or by design right where it needs to be. The stick shift lays right at your hand. The, the, the HVAC controls are down tucked away because you just turn them on or off and leave them on or that setting more or less. Um, you know, inside the car, it just fits. Everything's at the right place. The seat is at the right height. There's enough uh, leg room in the car, enough shoulder room. It just feels good. And then when you drive the car, if, you, if you've ever driven the 280ZXs, you know, the 79s through early 80s cars, completely different cars. They got soft, the back would squat. They just nailed it with the 70, 71, 72, 73s. Once they got into the 260Z, uh, pretty much the same thing until they did the fat bumper stuff because of crash standards and all that. Mm. And those flat top carburetors, <laughs> which were horrible. The uh, Tachi cars were horrible. But other than that, it's just been a great car. And then, you know, the aftermarket adopted that car, all kinds of performance parts for that car. It, it's, it would hard, it'd be hard to make that car ugly. There's just nothing you can really do to the car to make that car ugly. No matter what you put on it, it just looks good. It's a timeless design. It's easy to work on. You know, you can stand inside the engine bay to change the oil if you want to. There's so much room on the side. And it was just a, a tuner's delight. It was easy to fix, you know, easy to maintain, you know, no big surprises. Uh, it was just a great, great, great car. And even today, I mean, you look at the prices. There's your validation right there. These people are selling these cars for sixty or $70,000 in halfway yeah. decent sheep and still original. And you know, I don't have to tell you, you know all about this. You know more about it. Yeah. What kind of folks, you know, gravitated towards the Z back in the day when you were into them? Like, what was, what, what was, like, their ethos? Like, what kind of folks, like, hung out with this? The, these are people who kind of understood the David versus Goliath uh, principle, you know, that here you are mm -hmm. in a straight six car when everybody's running around with a hundred uh, excuse me, uh, a big block V8 and those cars of it that are maker were making 140 horsepower, 160 horsepower in the 70s because of small controls. This car was lightweight. It was flickable. There were performance parts for it. And you and the good guy, the good people uh, who would take these cars and then modify them with the suspension uh, uh, stuff, you know, they go to coilovers and all that kind of stuff, sway bars, strut tire bars, all that. And they go out and track the car they're they're running with or beating the faster american cars allegedly faster american cars so there was that the people those people were um, techie people they were what we call today as early adopters of technology you know they, they didn't let those cars scare them because to, to show a person who comes from a v8 with a single carburetor and look under the hood of a Datsun with the, that intimidating throttle linkage dual carburetors and all that kind of stuff they'd be baffled right so, you know, early adopters of technology, uh, people who like to get their hands dirty, people who understand that being different does not make you worse than another person, and people who understand that when you look at a car, you know, it's the kind of thing where you look at it and then you have to kind of appreciate it as a work of art, whereas, the, not to bash General Motors, but a Camaro and a Firebird are basically the same car. It's just changing the front bumper and a few other things, trim piece. It's basically the same car. The Datsun Zs were something different. They looked like nothing else on the road in America at that time, except maybe the Opal Mantas, which was like 20 of them in the entire country. But yeah, so that's what drew, drew me to the car. Different. But do you think, do you think the folks in America, like throughout America that adopted the 240 back in the, the 70s when it came out, do you think in terms of like perspective, like socially and politically, you know, do you think they were different thinkers than the status quo? 
to be able to embrace a Japanese car, and especially post-war? Uh, yeah, well, my father was born on Pearl Harbor Day, okay? Mm. Literally born on Pearl Harbor Day. And he used to say, I'm not, but the whole, okay, I wasn't really politically aware then until later. In the 1980s, all we heard about is how Japan was going to come over and take over the United States, blah, 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 blah. Having been to Japan, I, you know, I had a great appreciation for the culture and where they had evolved to after the war. So, yes, yeah. you know, there's certainly American people who were xenophobic and just didn't like any kind of foreigners. You know, I heard, remember hearing people saying, I'm not buying that Japanese crap and all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, this, a lot of these cars are way better than the American cars that are running around. And at that time, American cars were as bad as they've ever been. In the 1970s to the early 80s, they were absolutely horrible cars. Um, <laughs> if they were that, you know, divided about wanting to jump into a Japanese car, then they missed a lot because the Japanese cars of that era were pretty darn good. You know, even the early uh, 300 ZXs in the mid 80s were pretty good cars, comparatively speaking to American cars. So if, if people didn't want to embrace it, they, I, I honestly felt that they messed up. People who are going to be opposed to something just because it's from a foreign country are, are just not thinking with their head. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. You can use a car as a metaphor for how the world is kind of being so divisive today. And who's, you know, it's like, you worded it perfectly. It's like people get, they miss out. Mm -hmm. you know, so it's, we're going through the same thing with China right now in this country, right? Mm -hmm. Where people are reticent about Chinese products and all that kind of stuff. The Japanese initially, when they brought products over to America, they had issues. They had quality issues back in the 1960s, right? But they got their stuff together in a night, by the night, late 1970s. Their stuff was superior. By the late 1980s, they dominated the entire world of uh, electronics. So maybe we'll see the same thing with China. But the other thing is about, uh, I won't get into something too political. It's just about, you know, they're trying to raise their economy at the, the expense to, to some extent of American uh, wage earners and so forth. Eventually, this will balance out. But there's, a, there's growing pains that happen in the meantime. Mm. Yeah. Now, speaking of China, do you think there's going to be a time where we embrace Chinese cars like we embrace Japanese and American classics and German and European. Yeah. I, I would hope that, you know, there's a lot of this problem with uh, technology being stolen and so forth. So if China is able to get that all squared away, mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're magnificent people, you know, the thousands of years of development and uh, in, in, in producing technology, gunpowder, for example, right? Yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't for the Chinese. <laughs> Um, do I think so? Sure. It's, it's common sense. At some point, they, well, I will steal enough secrets or develop the technology on their own. They have some bringing people over in China. And eventually, they'll be producing cars that will be accepted in the United States. The best way, I think, to do that is for them to start building factories here to make their cars just like the Japanese did. And it smoothed the transition and blended everybody together and united two nations. You got to remember, you know, I'm a big World War II history buff. Huge. The Right after the war, there was a lot of anti-Japanese sediment, and there was a lot of anti-American sediment from Japanese nationals who lived here, and rightfully so. But we were able to fix that divide in 50 years. Less than that, 40 years, they were, they were huge in this country. And to this day, Japanese products are still desirable. It can be done. It just depends if the governments are willing to work together and uh, you know, have integrity and respect for each other's systems and all that kind of stuff. We'll see. But why does why do certain countries have they carry a legacy with 
you know, cars. Like you go to Italy and you got all the Italian cars they came out. And there's history and legacy. And Japan in the past 50 years, they've been able to literally establish, you know, a true legacy in the car culture. And I wonder, because I asked that question about Korean car culture, is that do we have a motorsport? Do we have a street culture? It's developing, but it's usually, it's a, you know, it's echoing, it's off the coattails of JDM culture from Japan or, or you know, the US pretty much, right? Um, and so I wonder like, yeah, they can create cars, but that's like, is a Tesla gonna go down into you know, car? Like, you know, is it gonna be a legendary car, right? Like, are we gonna be, you know, talking about it in 50 years like we're talking about the S30? You know, that's where I wonder, does, Chinese have, does China actually have a future in creating legacy with cars? You know, is, is it in their mentality? Good, good question. But Korean manufacturers have stepped it up. I remember mm. in the 1980s, they started selling Hyundai Elantras in this country, I think they were called. And yeah. those things those things were catching on fire all the time they they went through the they went through the growing pains but if you take a look at manufacturers like hyundai how do you even pronounce it right Hyundai, yeah hyundai kia yeah right okay i think think they join i think they merged now i think they're one company yeah yeah it's the same company so hyundai's were awful in the 80s okay that's fine there were a lot of companies that were awful indeed um, and here we are in the in the 2020s, and they make the the Genesis Coupe is one of the most amazing looking cars they've ever produced, and probably ever will produce. And if they if the aftermarket would jump on board and support that platform, they would really help them grow. And Hyundai should be encouraging that. You know, Kia the same way. The Kia Stinger, fantastic car. People rave about it. If you're going to have a four door car that's truly a sport, a four door sports car like the Maxima used to brand itself way back when, that's the car. You know, never mind the, the Dodge Charger four doors. It's got a V8 and it's cheat, not cheating, but, you know, of course it's going to be fast. But the Kia Stinger, gr- I've seen great looking versions of that. They're coming along. And if they have people within their, in their organizations that are going to champion this cause, motorsports drive sales. The whole reason that in the 1990s, the Dodge Viper, remember the grill, that little plus grill? They were putting that grill on everything. Sebring's. Dodge Sebrings, they put it on the neon. That was the halo car. And that got people into the dealerships, right? To look at the Viper, but buy a neon SRT4. Now, if Kia can do something like that, if Hyundai can do something like that and support it with a spec series or a factory team in some form of racing series, that's great. Hyundai uh, is probably, Hyundai's already doing racing stuff, right? Yeah, they've got rally stuff, yeah. With the, um, yeah, the the i30N, stuff. the i30N is, is a whip. That car is incredible. I mean, I, I don't think you get it in the U.S. You get the, uh, the Veloster. Veloster. Another, yeah. we, we get the Veloster, another great Veloster. car. When yeah. I first saw the silhouette of the car, saw it on the car cover, I said, oh. I don't know what's under it, but it's going to sell. Yeah. But the yeah. other thing about rally is Americans don't watch any sport that they can't see the whole event from one seat. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> yes, yes. If you cannot see the whole of it, this explains why road racing sucks in America, right? it's just not it's not like it is in europe you know british touring yeah. car german touring car some of the best racing in the world rally mm. racing some of the best racing ever conceived yeah. that's incredible <laughs> ever yeah. <laughs> right and americans are like yeah whatever they're gonna sit at the nascar event Woo! <laughs> yep. yep. that's it because you can see it from one seat it's sure. horrific well even in this country rally is just losing popularity every year because i mean it's not on the main channels these days it's very difficult to actually watch so, I mean, if, if Hyundai got into, like, the British Touring Car Championship, are, are they in the BTCC? I'm not sure I'll have to Google it, but I would love to see Hyundai actually 
competing because i mean they've got they've got the um the m sport guy albert beerman from bmw working on their right. m cars right so i mean right. they've got some serious some serious people working with them now and obviously we've seen that they can build the cars you know these i30ns and the veloster ends people just need to change how they feel about the brand that's the thing hyundai comes with oh it's your mum's car but actually hyundai these days are killing it but people have just got to let themselves love it same with kia you know the stinger didn't sell well you know despite it being an incredible car yeah i think you got a lot of yeah yes i think if you put i wonder if you put a hyundai uh, veloster or stinger in a fast movie you think it'll go over the tipping point and then all of a sudden people would accept it because how do you make something cool that's the interesting kind of study the exercise here is that you know when when you put the super in there people weren't really aware of it but it spoke for itself the design the look the whole shebang was like Mm -hmm. oh okay you basically just showed some people you just introduced to them to something that was already cool within its own but can we say the veloster when you walk up to it you're gonna focus on that or are you going to focus on the s30 right i mm. i don't I'm, I'm biased but i would probably go over to the s30 right and touch it and see it and then with the veloster you go i've seen that car i've seen it in a ford focus so it looks like a ford focus a bigger version of it or whatever and then so i, I go how do you make something like i guess like you know how do you make something emotional like how do you get an emotional response out of a car and i, I think that's what legacy <laughs> You know what? Yeah, <laughs> just give it to what an influencer. <laughs> give it to an influencer. They'll get a few million views, and then uh, you know, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> people no, love no. it. I, that's that's all well and good. There's plenty of good influencers out there. Here's what you do. Yeah. You 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 put Sun Kang in the car with a wide body kit, sort of gr <laughs> gr Yaris uh, kind of wide body kit, right? Kind yep. of gr Yaris look. Yeah. And have him do a couple of donuts around two girls in a parked car. That's it. Ten <laughs> Orange and black sold. paint. <laughs> Orange and yeah. black. I mean, but that, that's 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 nice, but that's not you know that that doesn't build a community of yeah. people. You have to have the enthusiasts and the innovators to like you know to do an R and D and create these aftermarket parts and really celebrate. I mean, when you were into your S threes, people were putting V 8s They were making like convertible versions. There's this what was that called? The Sc- Scarba. I think it's a, a company Scarab. that. Scarab, Scarabsies, right? Where you, uh, now, back in the day, they looked so weird to me, and now it's like a time capsule. So there are all these communities that celebrated and interpreted that, that that platform. And do we have that with the Korean and Chinese cars? It's a question yep, the, I wonder. If. The answer is no, because the price points, the entry price level of those cars is not very high, right? So you right. don't have to spend $50,000 to get yourself into a Veloster. Um, but that means that the people who will buy them probably don't have $50,000 at their disposable to build said car. Mm. So, you know, getting these guys to buy all the cool aftermarket stuff uh, would be a challenge because they're probably people of more modest means, especially if they're in, say, Eastern European countries, right? So right. there's that to consider. But if they were, there was a line of performance parts, including body mods supported by one or more manufacturers, even if it was, you know, somebody like a Bomex or something, perhaps that would help bump start it. Performance mm. parts. Wasn't uh, Reese Millen doing stuff for Hyundai's before? Was it Reese? Uh, I, I know Reese and I know BC was doing Hyundai's. He was making crazy, you know, turbo Hyundai's. 
Bisimoto, but I'm not. Maybe he was racing. Maybe Reese was racing. Mm. Is he racing the rally cars? The, the yeah. yeah. I thought he was doing stuff for Hondas. I could be mistaken. I'm trying to find a picture of that scared kid car that I used to own. It's going to crack <laughs> you up. Just but. because Reese drives that car doesn't necessarily mean I don't. It doesn't motivate me to go want to buy that, you know. But when the Focus R came out, I was already into it for some reason. I was like, I need to go. I would. Oh, you. Whoa, that's nice. Oh, damn, yeah. It was a 1980s, so the pink and blue. <laughs> this picture nice. was taken December 1987. Who made that kit? I have no idea. I don't remember. It was just the aftermarket kit? It was an aftermarket kit. It changed the front wings, as you say, in Great Britain. And then everything <laughs> else was molded on. Um, I was I in my know. pink and blue phase back then. <laughs> what, it was what the 80s, year was man. That? What 1987. Oh, that, Triple that Weber's. Oh, that That's car 70. 70. Ooh. 70. They only made 11,000. Yeah, I mutilated it. Yeah. <laughs> I sold that wow. car for 3,500 bucks. Dude. Really? Oh, 70s. Wow. I just saw one. I just saw one on Facebook. It's like $68,000 for a 70. Yeah, the green one. I saw it. Damn. No, it was blue. It's blue oh, one. okay. I saw a green one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I blame you, Sung, for the sudden price increase of the of two forty Zs. You know, I I did some research. The uh, it was two thousand and fifteen, wasn't it, that you did the Faguzi? In that year, yeah. prices went up by fifty percent. Just that year. Really? Yeah. I blame really? you. His fault. That, yeah, because I was looking at it too. <laughs> now I can't afford it. <laughs> it's gone. Especially in this country. They're hard to find. They are so hard to find now. Yeah. 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 yeah, I'm. I'm trying to find a few more. I actually bought another one. I bought a '71. Oh, okay. January '71. I bought it locally, and it's rusted out. But um, mm. the guy was trying to restore it, but he just couldn't. He his bandwidth, you know, couldn't handle it. And I was looking sure. at it. I had to pick it up, man. It's like you know, they're, they're going to be so rare. I think in five years, you're not going to be able to find it. Yeah. yeah. Decent, decent build, uh, but, but you know, a decent car for under thirty thousand. There's no way, because yeah. you know, mm, that that's good. Yeah. What um, other cars should we be looking out for? Kind of on on the um, like on that level of the two forty or two wait or two eighty, whatever. But that haven't been um, made famous by Sung. What other cars should we be looking out for at the moment? As like a, a kind of cheap uh, investment. Is there, is there anything left actually that's not too expensive from that era? From the 70s, there's yeah, anything you got to remember. 1974 was the oil crisis, right? Mm. In America, so yep. America started doing smog pumps on cars, and they were trying to get people out of V8s and all that kind of stuff. So from 74 on to like 1985, 86, American cars were rubbish. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolute rubbish. Uh, but it got it in the 1970s. There was really nothing good. I'm trying mm. to think of anything American was good. The Camaros were kind of, yeah. Uh, but, you know, the Porsche 914s are, are affordable. They yeah. are. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Although you've got one of them as well. Yeah. <laughs> I have I'm going to buy two now and, and just wait for yeah. you to finish it. <laughs> at, I think that's the, the next car. Go ahead, Greg. In America at the time, the 914 was was odd to Americans. They just didn't understand it. It didn't look like any of the 911, 912s. And they were very curious about the car, but 
the people who drove them were either Porsche files or people who uh, were early adopters of the technology. And then they all but disappeared in the 80s. You never saw one driving around. They were just gone. And I, again, I live in Southern California. So, you know, this is kind of the car capital you know, of, of trends as by default or assumption. But they just didn't take off here. But I knew plenty of people who were doing the, uh, what was the 914-6 and turning yeah, those into race six. cars. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I remember yeah. that. I mean, those are super rare now. Those are going for six figures all day, 914.6. So, but you could still pick up a decent 914. You know, it's, it, it's all, it's all complete for about 5,000. You know, I mean, it's not a great car, but that's still uh, for a complete car. It's a Porsche, you know, it's still, yeah. I think it's investment. Once you get it, you know, it's just going to, you know, it'll, it'll, it's a, a appreciating asset. But, you know, mm. Yeah, sure. They're not so they're not so um, popular. In the, well, we didn't really get them in the UK. We've got mm. I think there are maybe two on sale at the moment. But yeah, they're not too expensive. They're not too expensive. They're yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Mm. So when you bought the Supra, what what kind of influenced you to buy the Supra? Because that was like um, that was like the car that kind of well, it's it's the car that got you with the Fast and Furious guys. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so what bought what got got me into it is I had this car. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Damn, okay, so yeah. I came up with the paint think scheme my th myself. Blah 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 blah. Anyway, so that thing had a, uh, a supercharged uh, board and stroke three forty seven cubic inch motor with custom fuel system. Yada yada yada. So I'm on the freeway jerking around with this guy, and we go from a roll in a Supra. Uh, and the guy gapped me. He took me to Gapplebee's, baby. <laughs> and I said, that's it. Supercharger sucks. Turbo is where it's at. This car is for sale. Right, right. Two stories. So I bought this uh, white Super sitting up at this dealership lot, which was in this kind of uh, ethnic part of town where they sell people to have rough credit or whatever. It's like, you know, we buy here, pay here. And I don't know if these guys knew what they had. It's sitting up on those ramps that they use in American car dealerships to set yeah. it above the other cars. Yeah. And I see the sticker price on this thing was twenty five nine ninety five, And I turned around, pulled in a lot. I said, I'll give you 24 cash right now. Really? I'll go get you a cashier check right now. He goes, okay. <laughs> Went down the street to my bank, spent an hour jerking around there, came back with a check, called up my wife. And I said, come down here. You got to come pick up the car. <laughs> <laughs> And you didn't get, right get up shot. <laughs> she didn't care. She was all about it. And she was all good with that. No, so that's good. That's drove good. it home. And then uh, I called up Gretty and I said, uh, I had a friend over there that worked with Kenji. And I said, Hey, I want you guys to do a bunch of stuff. When can you bring it in? Uh, how about Monday? This was Friday. I said, see you then. <laughs> so I bring it in. The crazy thing is, is Kenji is the, is the man who built the Fabuzzi yep. years later, you know, mm -hmm. still there 20 years yeah. later. So took it in there. They did a bunch of stuff to the car, and then I took it to Stillen, got the body kit, and then I took it to the paint shop. So right after, so I didn't see the car for like six weeks, all all told, and it came back yellow. So <laughs> so it was, so the whole car was yellow, not white anymore. Damn, damn! And this was the car that eventually made it onto the film. Yep, standing at a car show, a guy older than me comes up to me. Hey, can I talk to you about this car? Blah 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 blah. blah. Nice guy, just just. Talked to me probably because I was closer to his age than anybody else there. But <laughs> said, "Well, we're working on this little movie called Redline. Can you come up to Universal one day?" 
And uh, I said, yeah, sure. So we drive in the back lot and the whole, the whole uh, entourage comes down. Rob Cohen, the director, mm-hmm. uh, says, take me for a ride in the car. They were all geeking out about the nitrous in the back. People were asking all kinds of questions and whatnot. And I get on the 101 freeway, which some will tell you is a very busy freeway <laughs> over there by Universal. So getting on, heading north, then I you know, roll in second gear. And then so the boost starts to come on. I had the target top off that day. It was a beautiful sunny day in California. Uh, yeah. Floor it. Uh, the turbo comes on. We're up to red line, third gear. We're up to red line again. Rob screams over me. Is that the NOS? I said, no, that's the turbo. <laughs> <laughs> And he, he, before we left, as the, the tram was coming around, you know, uh, that universal tram, the, the guy recognized Rob. I don't know how he knew Rob because I didn't know who he was, but I guess that's his job. Hey, Rob, what are you doing? He says, I'm putting this car in my next move. And I'm like, he is? What? <laughs> so like, they hired me on the spot and rent, decided to rent the car. So, wow. Rob was an employee of Universal for a long time. He was working on that lot, I think, since he was a teenager. So I did not know that. Yeah, he didn't start as a director. He was like an executive, and before that, you know, he he really worked his like way up Universal. That's why probably everybody knew him. Yeah, so he made one of my favorite movies, Running Man, with Schwarzenegger. Yeah, Schwarzenegger? that was yeah. his. That was his. And he also he made one of my favorite Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Dragon, another good one. Yeah, mm. good one. Yeah. And Triple X with Vin. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't know he's buying that. So that the reason why Rob left, the way I understand it, was Rob kind of hitched his wagon to Vin Diesel, who he deemed to be the next Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? And they mm-hmm. went off to do Triple X and all that kind of stuff, and then they got tied up with Riddick and all that, and then they kind of went their separate ways, or he went up, Rob went in one direction, and Vin went in another direction for whatever reason. But you know, people do not give that guy enough credit. You know, he was a sponge. He was he was he was going to illegal street races to check out the scene. He was going to Haunting Port Nights to check out the scene. They were in it, man, knee deep. Yeah, done. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he started it all, you know? So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Rob, hey, Craig, you know, why, why is it that you feel like you have to be this caretaker for the fast legacy? Because you've written books right on the whole journey and you're just a well of knowledge and anytime someone calls you to ask you questions you're just an open door you know and i i kind of wonder like what is like how do you get motivated to do that and what's the purpose behind it you know like what's your what's your why my why is i was silenced about the movie after after too fast too furious came out that the interest in the united states for the fast and furious movies kind of waned you know, the hardcore car people kind of viewed those movies as being a stereotypical portrayal of the scene. Some of the dialogue's not right. Some of the cars were done in questionable ways and so forth, which is, wasn't true to their JDM core principles. This isn't a, you wouldn't do this to a JDM car. You don't put an Afro pick on a Supra, that kind of thing. I never, I never did anything about it. And then in 2017, I bought a house up in La Habra Heights and I was going through my boxes that I hadn't opened literally in 15 years. And I found all these records of the Fast and Furious stuff, all the phone numbers, canceled or cash checks, all this stuff, all the data and all this, uh, the, the, the books of all the build sheets of the cars. I have them all right here. VIN lists, everything. My wife said, you know, you should write a book. I said, yeah, I should just write it down so I could tell the story. So I did. And it just turned into that, put it on a book and I 
decided to self-publish it, uh, put it out through Amazon. And then I created the Instagram account because I wanted people to get all the pictures for free rather than having to find, buy a $40 picture book, which would have driven them crazy. Just too much money for a young person. And then my wife said, you should do, uh, you should do some video stuff because you know how to film and edit. Why don't you do some video stuff? I said, all right, I'll tinker with it. And I did some early videos a couple of years ago, like in 2018. The reason I got involved uh, to do this kind of stuff is because I was in a unique position, uh, not by design, but purely by accident. As technical advisor, I was there in the early script discussions, including production meetings at Universal with executives. I was there at the Picture Car Warehouse. I was talking to the sponsors. I knew the owners of the cars personally because they were all friends or friends of friends. I was there uh, post-production, ADR loops, editing, sound design. I, I literally went up to the airport where they were uh, bringing all the cars. I helped arrange to find all the cars so we could record the sounds. I was driving cars up and down the road. I was just in a lot of different departments. I traveled with Paul after the movie to promote the movie. We went to several different cities together at Universal's behest. Uh, I went and saw the cars after they were stored for about a year to get ready for Too Fast to Furious. I moved to Florida for four months to work on that movie. I was just in the right place purely by accident. And nobody else was telling me stories. These mechanics who work on these cars should be telling their stories. I don't know if they're under confidentiality agreements or whatever. And Dennis MacArthur can't really talk about the cars. I've talked to him about it. He, they don't want him talking about these cars. <laughs> He's mm. still working on it. And so someday he'll write a book. And I promise you it's going to be way better than my book. It may be <laughs> way more fun. <laughs> but I, I, people, people want this content, you know? Mm. As, as evidenced by the, the, the number of followers I seem to be getting, but people from all over the world, you know, Sung, you have fans all over the globe. You know, the, the, the passion for this franchise is at an all-time high. Where it will be in 10 years, I don't know. But I want to tell the stories before, A, I become senile, or B, I drop dead. <laughs> so <laughs> I want to get them on record. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, I, I think on behalf of everyone in the franchise and that's been a part of it, you know, like, I don't think folks like you get enough credit because you guys are working behind the scenes to keep our legacy going, you know? And it's like when fans can't get a piece of us where they see a film and they, they're interested in the car, now they can go to you. You know, they can go to the site, they can go to the IG, they can go to your book and you can actually become a student of this history. And it's like, I have to say that I'm grateful because you're making you know, my contribution to the whole franchise part of it. You actually documenting it so it's so important you know and and that's why I asked that question why because I think it carries over to many things in life is you know you wake up and you know I have a, a elderly neighbor who was a UCLA professor tax attorney professor for 30 years and and in the last year he lost his wife he lost his dog he lives alone you can see you can see you know the decline and and every time I see him, he says the same thing. He goes, son, never lose your hobby because it's the thing that, you know, wakes me up in the morning because he builds model like World War II RC airplanes out of fossil wood. I mean, this guy is like, you know, the top of the game. He's a legend in that world, right? He's been in magazines. You see magazines from the 80s and he's, he's young and dapper and he's the guy, you know, in that world, he's the dude, you know, and, and just... Listening to someone like him, I go, wow, you know, he's accomplished so much. He's raised a family, he's buried his wife, he, you know, he taught many, many people throughout his career, and he's a good man. The man that I know is a good, great man, and he focuses on one thing, he's like, why do I need to wake up? 
And he's done everything that a man's supposed to do in terms of responsibility and as a father and all of that stuff. But the hobby is what's waking him up in the morning, you know? And I go, it makes me kind of reboot and go, how lucky am I to have something that I actually love to do and like wake up and I'm like excited to go to work on a car. Even if I never finish it, I used to don't care. It's the idea that something actually is waking me up in the morning, you know? And, and that's why I love talking to people like you, Greg, your age and the, the, the experiences and the things you've seen to be able to wake up and still be excited about it is something that I envy and I admire. You know, and I always wonder, where does that come from, right? Because I want to drink some of that, you know, when, I, when my tank is low. <laughs> Don't you feel like you're fed by the passion of other people around you? Because, you know, when I get these, I'm sure you get this uh, a lot. People send you a DM on Instagram and say, love what you do. You know, love that you're a car guy. Appreciate that you're authentic, all that kind of, those kind of messages help keep us, content creators uh, moving forward because we feel like it's appreciated and I get plenty of those messages and it just invigorates me and I try to answer every single message I get. People are passionate about what, what you're doing. Right. And so they follow you and they're loyal and you probably see the same names over and over. You'd be probably have, I don't know, a half a million, a million subscribers on your Instagram, but there's a lot of names you see over and over again. You start to recognize these people and you say, God, these people are just soaking this stuff up. They're passionate. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. Right. And that's what helps drives me uh, every day. You know, just when I start to think, you know, this is a little bit tedious. It's a lot of hard work, a lot of research and all that kind of stuff. But when you put it out there and everybody says, or most people say, this is great stuff. Thanks for what you do. That's enough. That's all the recognition you need. Yeah. But you're yeah. going to do it anyway, whether you get the recognition or not, because this is what we love to do. Yeah. It doesn't hurt to get a little pat on the back and go, you know, doing good. Keep it up, right? It helps. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I feel like the Fast and Furious franchise has been through so many evolutions that it reaches so many people. You know, you've got the original tuna car scene. You've got the drifting. You've got now the action stuff for The Rock and whoever. Um, and I feel like it all kind of funnels people back to that those initial few films. And it, it's almost like, you know, they're not really car films these days. They're action flicks. Uh, but the fact that it funnels those people back to the original films and it makes people just, I don't know, it makes people appreciate the where it came from and the cars. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see you guys come back and do like uh, a prequel to, to Han. I'd love it if, you know, Fast and Furious 0.5. Not 0.5. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Yeah. I think okay. that the last movie, whatever the last movie is, could end with Vin Diesel's character and Paul Walker's character. Their children now are 16. They've just got their driver's license. They grew up together. The final scene, even if it's after the credits, they go out to Dom's garage. They open the barn doors, and there's two cars sitting under the cover there, and there's the Supra, and there's the Black Charger from the original film, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. or they're, And it's say. Go, go for a drive. Why don't you guys go for a little drive? And they drive off. And that yeah. leaves it open for, for Universal to reboot the franchise in five mm. or ten years or whatever uh, under kind of different auspices. I mean, Star Trek has done it, the new generation, right? Star Wars has done it. There's plenty yeah. of uh, precedents that have been set. But this thing's not going to die as long as there are internal combustion engines and there's, as long as there's still car passion. Uh, I spoke to Terry Leonard, second unit director of Tokyo Drift. I know, Sung, you worked yeah. with him. 
yeah. I, I hosted a, symp- a symposium at uh, Barrett Jackson last year, about a, a year ago this week, actually. And I said, what are you going to do when it's all Teslas and re- electric cars? What are you going to do for the sounds? And he goes, hey, we're just going to dub them in. <laughs> yes. So it's not going to die. Right? It's not, yeah, it's not going to die. It's not going to die. All we're going to do is You're cultivate right. a new generation. The cars will live on long after we're we're gone. So yeah, I think you're right. They'll be able to come back to the cars and come up with the story. You know, so yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. That makes Do you think sense. In... we should get? Sorry, son, carry on. No, go ahead. I was done. Yeah. I was just gonna say. Um, do you think they chose the right cars in the original films? What would you, you, what would you or... Yeah, yeah. What would you? What would you uh, change? Like the hero cars? If you if you thought well. If you could change them, I'm not sure if you chose them or if someone else chose them. But if you could go back and change them for you know for for forever, what would you um, you know was the RX-7 right for Sung? Was the Skyline or or rather the Supra and the Eclipse right for for Brian? Uh, I feel like Brian should have started off in something else other than a, an Eclipse, and there's any number of cars. But I feel like we missed an opportunity with the Hachiroku and AE86, right? I think that should have yeah. been in there. I, if we had the money, which we did not, an R34 would have been brilliant. But where did that leave them to go in, in Too Fast, Too Furious, right? Sure. So you're probably going to pull from the same cars. Um, you know, Rob had a hell of a job to, to kind of figure out what we could do with what kind of money we had. But pretty much from the same pool of cars, I think Vince should not have used my wife's Maxima, <laughs> the blue thing. Your wife's? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a car I bought to commute, and she had basically commandeered the car, so I already modified the car. And Dave Martyrs just said, yeah, take that. An SW20 MR2 should have been there, yeah, I, yeah. I think, right? I think we should have had uh, a Hachiroko, like I said, uh, maybe a Lexus GS, kind of the VIP style for Vince or something. I don't know. There's any number mm. of things. I, I think I put a video about that a, a few weeks ago mm. about what we could have used. It, the, the script was written differently. They had different cars in there. And it was really, it's, it was kind of a jumbled mess of what they had designated for these roles. So the, it could have been worse and it could have yeah. been better. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of worse, now it's okay because time, I think, has made it into a classic retro look. But for, the, for I don't know if Alex is aware, um, where did the graphics come from, the library for the cars? Because if you look at the library and for a long time until I met you, I had no understanding of like, why is there a, you know, a knight with, on this car with a thunderbolt? Like, what, is, what does this stuff mean? So okay. please, yeah, indulge us. Great question, which I covered in a video, but I'll, I'll give you the short version. Imagine you're Rob Cohen in the art department. I think uh, Valdemar Kalinowski was the art director on that picture. Brilliant guy, wonderful sponge. And they're looking at these cars. How are we going to make these cars stand out from all the other cars that come on set as extras who already have graphics? They've got bubbles. They've got tribal stuff on the side. Vinyl was, printing was in its early days. It was just shapes. It wasn't multi-layered printed vinyl. It was just shapes, whatever you could cut out. So they went to a guy by the name of Troy Lee, who does graphics for motorbikes, for motorcycles and all that kind of, and helmets and stuff. Famous guy in America. Says, you need to come up with something that's different. And he says, okay, I got you. So they came up with Trojan War helmets, <laughs> nuclear gladiators phallic symbols and god knows what people throwing electronic spears and all that other stuff 
And RJ Devera and I, who were the tech co-technical advisors on the picture, looked at, looked at this and said, uh, can we just do the cars without graphics? Just make them solid color, no graphics. In fact, <laughs> I have a picture of that. I took the car up to them with no graphics right after it got painted. And they looked at me like I was crazy. This is boring. This is boring. But I'll let you decide and see if I can find that picture. So that's basically what they adopted. Uh, it was worse than Too Fast, Too Furious. They were really at a loss for Too Fast, Too Furious. They had no idea what they were going to do or how they were going to do it. And so the art director there was taking suggestions from people. Some were good. Some were not so good. Uh, here's a picture of it. No graphics. No graphics. Oh, yeah. So back in that in that time, was were graphics like? Did you see them just on the road? Was it an actual thing, that, like a, a real modification that people would do, or was it just for the film? Oh no, no, the, the cars cars back in that era were were rife with graphics. If, if you went to Hot Import Nights, hmm. uh, I'm going to be doing a video of Hot Import Nights. I'll show you some of the graphics people have. It was crazy. Everybody had stickers in their car, not just sponsored decals, decals, or whatever you, whatever you call them in Great Britain. Uh, but everybody had some kind of graphics on the side of the car. That was it. That's what everybody was doing. I but not, so, under, not, but not, not gladiators. No, they had to make the car, the, these decals different than what you would see on the background cars. The whole concept mm -hmm. was to differentiate the movie cars from the, yeah. the background cars. And there's other yeah. cues if you're paying attention. Well, what, but I, I think what Alex is asking, and, and I'm asking oh. this too, is, there weren't people rocking in the street culture with ro Roman gladiators with spears. No. On the, right? It wasn't a thing until Fast and Furious. Oh, oh. stickers, yes. The library, I get all yeah. that. There was no, there's none of that. <laughs> Freeze frame, that's your screen capture yeah. for this podcast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a gif. <laughs> so RJ and I, when we first saw the cars... We looked at each other like, oh, my God, what did they do here? And this shows their brilliance and my stupidity because I thought, well, I'll tell you this. No one's ever going to be copying those graphics. And then three <laughs> years after the movie, as the Internet got bigger, we're starting to see nuclear gladiators on Dodge Neon, Chevy Cavaliers, <laughs> uh, Hyundai Elantras. I'm like, oh, you poor misguided fools. <laughs> and, I, and I just remember thinking that product placement sells. Okay. If you get the yeah. right celebrity to wear your shoe, no matter how ugly it is, 20 million uh, units, units sold. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, there's no accounting <laughs> it, for taste. It makes sense. I mean, to if, if we're trying to sell, if they see a turbo or a new wheel, right. In the fast movie, man, I'd say that's the accessibility for average teenage kids is pretty hard. But to get a bunch of stickers at AutoZone with Thunderbolts for you know nine ninety nine. That's doable. <laughs> and you can at least peel them off, right? Hopefully, right? <laughs> Some neons. <laughs> but, but Alex, Alex, so you you saw the the original, I guess, stock version. Of, yeah. You know the Supra, and you are aware of what the you know the the the, the picture mm. card looks like. Mm. If it stayed stock, I don't think that it would have actually. Yeah, this I, kind of fan base. You I know? think it the, needs to be kind of. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the designs on the cars. It almost, inf it, it was like a form of branding for the cars. It became so much more than just a skyline. It was Brian's skyline, or it was you know Brian's Supra, like the um, you know the RX seven, the red RX seven that that Dom uh, drove yeah. with the. I think it's like a rocket down the side or something. That's so yeah. noticeable. It's so iconic and it's so memorable. 
that I, you know i think um without the stickers it would have just been another c- cool car but just another car yep yeah you know mixed within that's why i said they were right i was wrong <laughs> <laughs> i have no shame I'm about glad, admitting that i'm glad i'm glad they got rid of it on tokyo drift that i don't have like a horse and a lion on my bail side yeah. that's a good point yeah, they went very simplistic on uh, on tokyo drift no neons the um it was all quite uh, quite held back like, yeah. i know i know i, mean, I think sorry. the word is accurate accurate yeah <laughs> good point good point yeah well they had the hulk mobile they went crazy on that hulk mobile. oh that's true yeah that's true right is that car people but, remember <laughs> a vw toran yeah, that's right. It was, yeah, that's right. It was a Telluride. Yeah, that was right. Actually, VW sponsored the movie. I remember. Yeah, really? Yeah, oh, there, there was brilliant. there was a bunch of Telluride's for the for commuting, and the director got to drive one home every day. And nice. It was the first time Justin got something like free from like a right. sponsor. Really cool. And then I remember driving around. He goes, "Dude, they gave it to me." I go, "You don't have to pay for anything." I was like, no, you don't have to pay for insurance. He's like, no, and then I go, you have to pay for gas. And he goes, no, man, because they fill it up every time I come to set. There's a bunch of cars. There's a gas tank, yeah. and they fill up. Like he goes, dude, I'm driving for free. And I was like, wow, the <laughs> idea look at of now. getting something for yeah. free. Yeah, it was like, yeah, VW for free. Dodge for you, dodge for you, dodge for you. That's <laughs> all it is awesome. now. It's a big, big commercial for Dodges. Yeah. What would you yeah. change about the new the new film? The, the cars specifically. What would you do with the cars? Hard to find fault in what they're doing right now. What other motion picture franchise can you think of that they destroy three hundred cars in every movie? They have cars on set that are literally multi million dollars that people will probably <laughs> never see in real life. Yeah. They drive the piss out of them. They blow it up. The mm. only thing I would change is the characters in the first movies. Uh, the main characters got a car that they stuck with throughout the film with few exceptions like it would be in the first half of the film and then they switch to another car Mm. uh now these characters in most cases they're lucky if the car that they get into survives the scene let alone the movie and so it's hard for people to get attached there's more diversity which i think is great in in cars there's a little bit of something but not enough of anything Mm. except dodges if i see one more dodge charger i'm gonna hang myself okay i get it dodge you know I don't know. Make the taxi cabs in the background. I'm, I'm over it. I think everybody else is. That's the number one complaint I get. Do we have to keep seeing all Dodge Chargers? Or do we have to stop? Because everybody knows they're not Hellcats. They're all SXTV6s and nobody cares. Yeah. Yeah. But it's product placement and they you know, partner with the franchise and they spend money to market. It's a necessary evil. It's not offensive to most people. It's just offensive to people who just want to see something really cooler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you've kind of answered the question why it's hard to put vintage cars into the fast movies now because it's people forget it's show business. You know, yeah. it's not gotta make money. Show car show, right? It's not that. It's like someone is paying to put to get that real estate in their movie, and if Nissan or you know Toyota, they're not doing it, and if they are gonna put their car into it and invest money, they're gonna probably promote their newer cars, not s30 you know or right a86 mm-hmm. right because they, they they don't benefit from that they don't i don't think they even really care about that aftermarket because it's still so, so old right so mm-hmm. and it's it just no commerce way. like 
Dodge has money. They're probably dumping tons of money into that movie. So that's why the Dodges are everywhere. But mm. well, yeah, Dodge tried to. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So Dodge tried to put an SRT4 in the second movie in place of the Skyline. Right. And they were going to pay a lot of money to Universal's credit. They said, no, we'll take some other Dodges, but not that one for this movie. So, yeah. you know, they were above, Universal was above reproach back then. They were all mm. about authenticity, largely in, in part because of John Singleton, because he was the one who agreed to go with, go along with that. But you know, like, product placement is necessary, it, it's, mm. it's and mutually beneficial to both parties. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. But you got to, yeah. But it, so you can't please everybody, right? You need the money to make the movie. But then the car guys are like, yo, man, where's the R32, R33, R34, R35? Dodge, 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 Dodge. Yeah, right? the R35 got a little bit of, <laughs> I got a little bit of love in the, in the later films. And you got, you've got a Supra, right? You, in, in the, um, the upcoming film, you, you got behind the wheel of a Supra. Did you actually get to properly drive it? No. Unfortunately, there was no real communication with Toyota. Um, to um, understand the car, to educate, but right. to their to their credit, they you know they reached out, and now you know I'm going to go and talk to the guys who actually built it to really oh, learn. That's cool. Because I figure, you know, there's been a lot of hate on the car, and uh, if I'm I'm attached to the car now, so mm. e- either I embrace it right and be an ambassador, because I look at it and I go, there, you know, when you there's so much hate because basically everyone's calling it a, a BMW, right? And mm, yeah, when you build a car, there has to be individuals there that have the same passion that we were talking about earlier. Mm. And look, you can you can hate on it. it; it doesn't have to be your cup of tea. But I would love to like investigate and learn how this car got reborn, right? Mm. And there's a story there. And then I, I'm sure I'm going to be able to find some appreciation for the car because right now it's so foreign. Like I'm no attachment to it. It's only orange and black in the Hans color, but I think it's a great opportunity now to go actually learn the car before mm-hmm. the movie comes out on my own, you know? And then, um, cause I saw one driving, I saw a green one on the freeway, dude, that thing is a beautiful car. I think they look good. Right? I just wish they were in manual, but you know, yeah. right. Mm. I would have jumped on board. I saw the FT one roll off the truck to cars and coffee in 2014. I said, if they make it, I'm buying it. But yeah. we got the stubby version, which I wasn't so much bad about that. I mean, I, I lacked the proportions that I wanted, but I got inside it. It's just too much BMW for me. If they could have pulled the dash around and got rid of that SciTech joystick for the transmission yeah. um, that they use in all BMWs, which very much feels like a SciTech joystick. If they would have done that, I would have said, okay. But you can't deny the car is magnificent. You can't mm. deny that with body kits on those cars, they look super, just unbelievably good. Yeah. But it's a bit too small for me to drive every day. So that's really the only reason I'm not a huge fan of that. I am looking forward, however, to the 400Z, and I hope one of those winds up in a fast yeah. movie at some point. I feel like oh, that would be a no-brainer. So. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a manual car, so it's going to have a manual option. So, I mean, that's all you got to do. You, know, you can't really be drifting a car if it's, you know, if it's paddle shifter, right? Uh, mm. it's, so... The idea of using you even using the super for stunts and fast, like if you're a car dude or you're a drifter, you know that's not realistic, right? So, like, what am I downshifting into neutral and then back to drive, right? What am yeah. I whatever? <laughs> <laughs> that's never stopped in another fast and furious movie. Yeah. Most, yeah. most, 
What's sixteen this? speed. <laughs> <jet>. <laughs> my my favorite part of those movies is they'll be in a race, no matter who what movie it is, they'll be in a race and they're cruising along and the other guy couch starts to catch up and then yeah. the guy who's in the losing car losing car downshifts. I'm like, motherfucker, why are you not why why weren't you running up to the red line anywhere up to the shift point, right? What are you doing cruising in overdrive? Yeah. In six, when you should really be in fourth or something. That's that's and gone then, on to other movies now as well. Did you do you see um Ford versus Ferrari? They did the same thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> but on that straightaway, the yeah. long straightaway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They said, oh, oh like, actually, you know, I need to be in a proper gear where I'm in the power band. Like, Come on. Yeah. <laughs> hey, did you guys see Baby Driver? That yeah, I did. Sequence. I did. I, I mean, liked I, it. I thought that was good. That mm, was a that good, was good sequence. Yeah, right? yeah. And that Evo, he was driving an Evo, wasn't he? It was Subaru, uh, Subaru and Pretzi, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was Subaru? Oh, yeah. Nice. yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they used yeah. those because they had to, with all the stunts, they had to get different powertrains, like some were rear-wheel drive, some were all-wheel drive, so they could get the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the right movement and the kind of, you know, incredible they had one. They had one where the actual stunt driver sat on top of the car <laughs> in a cage, and he was steering from up there, and the actor was just kind of... You know, matching the movements and steering. There's a great yeah. picture of it, right? Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> cool. Let yeah. these guys build crazy stuff, fun stuff. Yeah, that's no, good. It's good. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we have some questions for you, Craig. We put a question out, uh, a thing out on Facebook, and we got so many. We got a lot of people loving your YouTube stuff. That is uh, YouTube.com forward slash. Craig, uh, Craig Lieberman, by the way. And what's your Instagram? It's Craig, Craig Lieberman, Lieberman underscore 42. Yeah. That's the one. That's the one. So we got, I mean, obviously, so many Fast and Furious uh, questions. Um, yeah, we've got so many people loving your stuff on YouTube. Uh, oh, okay, nice. so someone says, like... yeah, loads and loads of loads and loads of fans. Uh, someone says, well, I've always wanted explanations. Sorry, this is Max. I've always wanted explanations for the danger to manifold and the floorboard <laughs> falling out sequence. <laughs> <laughs> All right, real quick. Uh, Danger to Manifold was kind of a dumbed down uh, thing, phrase for people who weren't necessarily car people, which I still question that because and not a lot of people even know what a manifold is. My original idea was uh, uh, bottle heaters on the nitrous bottles and then showing the gauge, the pressure gauge going to the red. It just, you know, go green and red. And that would overpressurize the bottle. It would pop the line and be spraying around ice cold nitrous, which comes out of the, uh, the line at about minus 125C. And it fogs up the windows. And then Paul Walker is fighting with this hose behind him, right? And it's fogging up the window, but it doesn't kill the engine and all that other stuff, right? Uh, so the whole, the whole thing about danger to manifold and three stages of nitrous on a 130 horsepower car was utter nonsense. But, you know, Rob, to his credit, said, look, People who are watching this movie are not car people. It's made for everybody else, not for car people. So nobody's going to know the difference. All they're going to see is a flashing light and that's bad. Mm. So it was one of the things where I had to say, they're going to take a creative license. So sure. sorry, watch Watch my video about the errors. <laughs> it's yes. more it's detail. a great video. Yeah. Everyone watched that video. It's really good. Uh, one more question before we wrap it up. But uh, Adrian says, how did you get um, a Nissan Skyline R34 into the United States for Two Fast, Two Furious? Uh, I bought the first legal one that came in from Motorex. Motorex was a company that in the early 2000s was importing R34 GTRs. A total of 14 were legalized for use in the United States. 
I got one. Paul Walker got one. As a matter of fact, we went shopping on the same day for a car. I wound up buying one and he wound up buying one a little later. Um, so there was only 14 um, of those cars and I bought it. So <laughs> right place, right time again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We've, I've loved it. It's been brilliant. And uh, I think people are really going to enjoy this. There's a lot of, a lot of good stories. Uh, I've got to do our annoying pluggy bits, but before I do our pluggy bits, uh, tell tell the the listeners where to go to find you okay you can go find me on youtube at youtube.com slash craig lieberman uh you can find me at fast and furious facts.com you can also find my book there crashing cars if you want one i'll send you an autographed one from my website if you just want one that without an autograph go to amazon and of course my instagram is craig lieberman underscore 42 i answer every dm as long as they're <laughs> polite and clean <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> if you have questions i can direct you to the right resource and if it's not answered in a video i will answer you there brilliant well thanks so much for, for joining us uh if you are watching this on youtube please find the podcast on itunes spotify iHeartRadio, google play stitcher radio player fm and more subscribe to our youtube channel just search for songs garage can you tell i've got the scripted and make sure to hit that notification <laughs> bell oh yeah you're doing this so much uh, follow Sungus Garage at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find us on sungusgarage.com. <sighs> Thank you so much for listening. I've really enjoyed chatting <laughs> to you. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for your work. Awesome. Thanks, Sung. Good to talk Thanks to you. Thanks so much. It was great to meet you. Talk to you soon.